Hi, this is your host, Moses. The red megaphone was designed to amplify voices that deserve to be heard louder. And my goal is to learn from talking to guests of diverse backgrounds. If you're also a curious individual who loves learning from other people's stories, please do consider subscribing. Majed is a friend from the Bay Area that decided to bike the length of Africa from South Africa, Cape Town, to uh, Cairo all the way, or Alexandria, uh, Egypt. He spent three months doing it, and uh, he came on here to share his story on what it was like and some of the characters he met along the way. You can find a detailed uh, blog of his ride and story at majedbikes.substack.com. Majed is spelled M-A-G-E-D. Thank you. Okay, we're live, Majed. Welcome to the podcast, The Red Megaphone. Hey, thanks, Moses. How's it going? Um, can you tell me a little personal background just for the audiences and every, everybody too? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Majed. Um, I know Moses through, uh, uh, hanging out with him in the Bay area. Um, I grew up kind of all over. I lived in Toronto before moving to the Bay, um, originally from Egypt. I also lived a little bit in Uganda. Um, and then, uh, uh, when I was living in Uganda, I met this guy who was uh, on a bike trip from South Africa to Egypt. He was like halfway there. One of our teachers met him and she brought me to class for show and tell. And I was like, wow, that sounds like the coolest thing ever. Uh, and so I thought I want to do this one day. And then uh, around a year ago, I got the chance to do something similar. Uh, wow. Took three months off work for it. Yeah. And then came back and got quarantined here. <laughs> um, <laughs> you had to quarantine too. Um Going a little backwards, um, what do you do in the Bay Area? Yeah, um, I work in tech. I'm a software engineer at a startup that works in like self-driving tech. Okay. Yeah. So, um, um, can you be a little bit more specific, like what? Because I know the details of what you do are very uh, complicated. But if you were to dumb <laughs> it down, no, for sure. Uh, so the main thing they do is they build simulation software for self-driving vehicles. So if like a company is building a self-driving vehicle, they can test it in simulation rather than testing it on the road. Uh, so it's um, like obviously a lot safer to test it in simulation. And, uh, but then you can also test it in more interesting edge cases that you wouldn't see on the road. Um, yeah, they also just generally build products and infrastructure to accelerate autonomy development. So everything from like robo-taxis to like the big car companies building like a, like simple lane keeping systems and whatnot, uh, to like robots uh, and all that. So I the reason I want uh, you to kind of disclose what you do in the Bay Area and the kind of stuff that you're working on with transportation and stuff is while I was reading your blog, I found it kind of ironic and more so poetic that um, you work on self-driving transportation, this like super complicated tech uh, transportation and then what i wanted to interview you about is 
one of the most archaic ways of travel, like hitchhiking, biking. And I found it kind of poetic that you decided to kind of trek your way through uh, Africa. Is that something that you consciously thought of before or no? You know, I don't think I've ever, yeah, thought about like the difference between the two of what I spent every day on <laughs> compared to what I did on my trip. But yeah, that's a good point. Something I did think about a lot is like, would this technology ever reach uh, like these places I'm traveling through? Uh, and I feel like it's it's so, so far out. Um, oh, really? It's, yeah, it's very, like, it's very unlikely to reach it any, anytime in the near future. Why do you say that? Um, because when uh, like the developers of the technology build it so it's very uh like fine-tuned for like the environment they're developing in right so they're focused just on u.s roads just on north america roads just on europe um or japan or china um and like every different region has like its own rules its own road quality its own signage and you're very much learning against that environment and you can't just drop it somewhere else that it's not familiar in right so it's not ubiquitous throughout like globally yeah yeah definitely um so you talked about living in uganda and getting exposed to someone that was kind of trekking and biking through africa so i guess you got the idea to not do it but you had the idea that someone was doing it and that it was possible earlier on because i thought you just kind of decided to do it on a on a whim yeah so that this happened in middle school and then i kind of forgot about it um until way later, I think I was in college and like the like the memory just popped up in my head and I was very motivated to try and do it again or uh, to try and make it, something like that happen. So I looked up the I looked up the distance. Uh, I don't think it's a straight uh, straight line distance, but it's 10,093 kilometers from Cape Town, South Africa to Cairo, Egypt. 10,000 plus kilometers for for our friends in uh America, <laughs> that's like uh, what six thousand miles. Yeah, yeah, it's a massive continent. Um, six thousand miles plus. Yeah, and it's like very, yeah, very varied throughout. Um, yeah, so I had a, uh, uh, I had three months to to cross it one way or another. Oh, <laughs> so what what were some of the countries that you um, crossed? So I started in Cape Town. Um, went up South Africa into Namibia, uh, Namibia to Zambia, Zambia, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Sudan, Egypt. Man, and you, uh, how long did you plan for this trip? Uh, like how long did I did I plan it? Yeah. So can you like in general, I guess, um, can you speak on the the mental and physical, uh, like how did you prepare yourself and. And how you planned and yeah um so i think i'm not a great planner in general you just like throw myself <laughs> at something and <laughs> figure it out along the way um but i actually had a friend join me for the first uh two weeks of the three months so i knew to put him at ease we would need to have like some kind of structure some kind of schedule so my first two three weeks were very very well planned. Oh really? <laughs> I knew like exactly what city are we starting from? How much distance are we covering? Where are we staying that night? And so on. Um, and I kind of like looked up the map. I bought these like really really big paper maps of the area, like uh, drew out the roads and everything. Looked at different people who had done something similar along the same route. But then after the first two weeks, it was like 
yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I was like blind. I was like, okay, from that point, I'll, I'll figure it out along the way. Um, I had like a, Go I had a rough schedule of like where I wanted to be by one just to make sure I make it. Um, but then I wanted to keep it open a little bit. Right, um, that's, it always kind of kind of ends up being that way on a trip uh, like that, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or like if if you, if your schedule is too rigid, you're like, it, it's hard to um, divert for, from it if you like see something that's more interesting along the way. Right. What about physically? Yeah. How did you prepare for your for your long bike rides? Yeah. So I think so. This has been something that's been on the back of my mind for a while. Um, so I've done a lot of other similar, like long bike rides, um, with the thought that like, Hey, I want to get fit enough that I can like do this for a long time. So I've, um, uh, like from the Bay, you know, I've like down to Santa Barbara. Um, I've been like done bikers from like Seattle to Vancouver, uh, like around Cuba and just like different places while traveling. Um, and so that's just like kind of like over like a few years, I was like thinking, okay, like what do I need? Like, am I fit enough to do this for like a sustained amount of time? Um, otherwise, leading up to the trip itself, I was just generally trying to, I guess, be a little bit more active, but I wasn't that great at it. <laughs> I had a, I was a little bit worried coming up to it and I had signed up for this half marathon and I was like, okay, I'm going to run this if I can finish it. I'm confident I can do the trip. Otherwise, I'm, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so, so without really training for it, I just used it as like a, like as a test for myself. It's like, okay, hey, am I ready to start or not start? Um, and yeah, I didn't get a great time, but I finished it. So I was like, okay, I'm ready to do this. Let's go. <laughs> but I feel like you were always down to do uh, stuff that was active and you were, you were pretty ambitious and like trying being adventurous i mean namely this trip but also you biking to santa barbara i gotta i gotta i gotta get you to tell the story of how you were biking through santa barbara and you were you were jumping through fences and you realized you were in some like government government land and they kicked you out or can you speak on that yeah so i was in between jobs um uh in the band i have like uh, because of visa, I had like two weeks of unplanned time, so it wasn't enough time to like plan a trip anywhere. So I was like, okay, I'll just start biking south. Let's see where I end up. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, along the way, um, I was—I remember I got a little bit lost, and I like—I ended up taking this like kind of back road that was supposed to get me where I wanted to go instead of taking the major road. Apparently, it was like a little bit faster. Um, and I keep biking, I keep biking, I keep biking. It gets dark, I bike in the dark. And it's like a little bit of a dirt road. And eventually I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm just camping out here. And it was like a, it was like a farm with like cows around me and stuff. <laughs> um, and then I wake up the next day and I keep going. I'm like, when is this back road going to end? And like, I'm going to get back to the major road. And it starts raining and it starts going uphill. And after a few hours, I finally reach the end and it's a fence. And I'm like, fuck. Like, I'm not going to waste another day going back all this way down. I came and it's raining and whatnot. <laughs> Like, like, I'm sure I'm almost here. Let me just hop this fence and I'm going to reach like the, the main road like pretty soon. Were there any signs or warnings on the fence or just? Yeah, it was like a big no trespassing <laughs> sign. <laughs> Trespassers will be shot. Oh, damn. <laughs> um, okay. It was pretty tense. Oh, yeah. And the other thing was um, I was pretty close to a, <laughs> like the day before I had passed like an NSA building. So it was, <laughs> so I didn't know what was in the area. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, and I was technically like 
not on my visa at the time while I was in the country because it was between jobs. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I can get drunk. Majed, Majed. <laughs> um, so uh, you threw your bike over the fence and climbed over. Yeah, so I threw my bike over, climbed over, and started biking down. And then I, I reached the other side, and it's another fence. And I hop over that. And then, like, it's just like I didn't know where I was. And I just kept hitting fence after fence after fence. I didn't know if I was like hopping into private land or like hopping out of private land. <laughs> um, now you're way out. Right? Yeah, and there was one part with barbed wire. Like, I, had, I couldn't like, like climb over, so I had to like go underneath. Uh, so I like threw my bike over and like slid underneath, um, but luckily it was safe. Nothing, nothing bad happened. And eventually, like I see a road, uh, like kind of like down the mountain from where I was, and I climb down, get back to get back to civilization. Yeah, you're crazy, but I guess that that uh, kind of prepared yourself for for what to uh, what was to come in Africa. Yeah, can definitely. You speak on the, can you speak on the equipment you brought with you? Because I saw uh, pictures of the bike, and uh, presumably the roads in Africa aren't like nice paved roads like they are in uh, the Western world. So it must have been what, like kind of a hybrid bike, or what'd you bring? Yeah, so it's like a touring bike with like, I got like tires that were fat enough to be able to go on different kinds of road. Right. Um, Otherwise, I had like my tent, my sleeping bag, all of my camping gear. I had like an oven so I could um, like cook for myself. I had my water filter. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of gear. It was a heavy bike, and it was kind of strapped on on like the rear and front uh, panniers. How much, how much did it weigh? I don't know. It's got to be I'm like gonna... probably a hundred pounds. No. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was heavy. Um, yeah, it was like two bags on each side. Tent. Yeah, it was a one-person Actually, I bought like a fancy one-person tent from here, and I broke it like two weeks into my trip. <laughs> so, the little knob, the plastic knob thing broke off, right? Yeah, and that's not a piece you could replace easily. Um, oh, so so it, was to, un- it was not usable? Yeah, no, that was it. Like, like I couldn't put the tent up. Oh, gosh. So you I just put the tent up. <laughs> <laughs> like i just like slept uh, like underneath it like a big sleeping bag <laughs> um but i replaced it with like a much shittier tent from namibia that was a lot heavier uh oh, so but it, to, it got the job done new one. yeah what about uh i'm trying just trying to think like if i were to go bike africa for three months like what would i bring with me and there's got to be more would, like the etc the little things what did you bring with you because I'm curious on, like, your mental processes on what you decided to bring. Yeah, so I brought all the gear I need to fix my bike. Um, so extra tubes, extra an extra chain, uh, all the tools. I brought with me one of my, like, frivolous items. I brought a little $2 chair <laughs> that, like, folds up. Uh, so anywhere I stop, I can just pull off a chair and just, like, chill. Um <laughs> Otherwise, I had like my um, my little water pack on my bag, on my back, um, and I think that covers all the major items. That's it. You tried other frivolous for items. Three months of... Yeah, I mean, I had my Kindle. I had my speaker. That was pretty important. I could like blast music oh, from my right. bag. Um, then otherwise, yeah, I think like my like I can just grab things along the way. And I did do a little bit of shopping along the way too. So I just like buy more clothes and whatnot. (laughs) 
I uh, what I thought was really interesting is that you brought your little uh, uh, kind of Polaroid camera thing. Oh yeah, that, that was, was interesting because uh, it was a good way for you to connect with the locals and just take them take pictures of them and give it to them and make connections that way. Can you speak on that? Yeah. So a friend had brought one to a party like right before I left for the trip. And I was like, oh, this is the greatest idea. Uh, so I bought one. It's like one of those Polaroids that like prints photos instantly. Yeah. And then wherever I went, we're like, I want to take photos of people. I was like very mindful not to take photos of people without their permission, um, like without them knowing. Right. Um, and so I found it was a good way to like, yeah, like strike up a conversation, give someone a little gift of this portrait of them of themselves. Uh, um, and then, yeah, just start talking from there. Um, yeah, at one point I was biking in Kenya and there was a lot of like a uh, Maasai, vill- like uh, little villages around me. Um, and it's very kind of like very hard to enter, you know, like unless like especially kind of as a foreigner, uh, they're all like ways away from the road. Um, it's like uh, it's like built. So it's like kind of land like camouflaged in the landscape. It has like a big like uh, bush fence around all the villages, um, and yeah. So I uh, met these two Maasai women along the road, <laughs> offered them some portraits. They loved it, and so because of that, they like invited me back to their village and like um, took photos of like the entire family, like the grandma, like their babies. <laughs> <laughs> were you uh, were you scared or worried at any point? I'm 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 sure you have been uh, along the trip. Yeah, no, there was definitely a lot of moments I was pretty scared. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, I can list you one. So probably like the first time I was genuinely uh, uh, scared was we were in South Africa. And South Africa is known for like, like it's a, it's a violent country. There's like a lot of violent robberies. There's stories of people getting, um, yeah, like, like very hurt, like just from a robbery. It's like turmoil um, in the country. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say turmoil, more just like the, like the, like lots of crime um, and very, very violent crime too, uh, like South Africa in particular. And then, um, so at one point we were camping, um, we were trying to find a campsite and we reached a campsite and it's totally deserted. There's nobody there. Like it was just like listed on our uh, online as a campsite and it didn't look anything like a campsite. The gate was closed, uh, but there was a phone number, we call it. And the person comes, unlocks the gate, lets us in. Uh, and then there's like this big like building that he unlocks, lets us into. And then he he leaves, locks the gate and like heads out. <laughs> and then we're he in this. Locks the gate? Yeah, on his way out and heads out. Okay. And uh, when we're there, we're a little bit spooked. And then I realize because <laughs> it's like this big like empty lot of land with like one building in it. And we're just like in there on, by ourselves. There's like a couple of like small cities around us, kind of like along the highway. Um, and then when we're there, we realize <laughs> there's a broke like the window in this building is broken, like it was broken in the corner. I'm like, huh, that's a little bit weird. And so we like we head out and we like start walking around this lot, and we realize every building also has like a window broken the same way, broken so like the window can be opened. Hmm. And then it's pretty obvious that this building has been broken into recently. And so this place has been, yeah, it's been broken into, and we're here alone at night sleeping here, hoping that doesn't get broken into again, and we get robbed in our sleep or something. 
Um, yeah, that that made me nervous, uh, especially because did, did you were you even able to get any sleep or? <laughs> I kept waking up. I was in. I was living in front of like this big pillar. I kept waking up in the middle of the night thinking that pillar was like someone walking in. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you bring any like uh, personal protection, like a mace or a pocket knife or anything like that? So I did have a knife for cooking that could be used as a pocket knife, but I never <laughs> used it that way. Um, yeah, that was um, that was one moment in South Africa that like scared me. The moment that scared my friend more, and it was maybe also uh, a little bit scarier, was I think it was might have been like the day before this or two days before this. We were um, in a random, very small town on like this incredibly hot day. Like both dying of thirst, trying to like get some water, some food, uh, and everything's closed except this like one bar on the edge of town. And we go there, <laughs> and it's like it's like out of a western movie, you know? Like everyone just gets quiet as soon as we walk in and like stares at us. Yeah, um, you guys and, are total foreigners, right? Yeah, total foreigners. Like don't belong there at all. And then we go up asking them if we have food, and they're like very cold, and they're like no. And so we're like, <laughs> okay, like we're not welcome here. Let's just leave. And as we're about to head out. Uh, one guy's like, no, 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 come, come, stay, come, sit down, sit down. I'll get you food, blah, blah, blah. And he ends up, um, he ends up hanging out with us there for a while and like getting the entire bar to like hang out with us and like we'll tell them about our story and whatnot. And then takes us over to his place saying we're hosting a barbecue, um, a braai. It's called South Africa. Uh, come, come stay with us tonight. We'll have you for our braai. And so we drive out. Too. <laughs> so we throw our bikes on the back of his pickup trucks and we drive out. I thought it was pretty close. I misunderstood, but no, his farm was really far away. Uh, he takes us there. He invites like the entire bar there. Like it's pretty much like the entire town was like out there, like partying for his bride. And um, it starts getting a little bit. So these are um, um, like white South Africans. Yeah. And so I was with my white friend and then me, I'm uh, like Egyptian brown. Uh, and he starts making more and more like very racist comments that are making us uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, he starts saying things like, um, let me think. Just making comments about like South Africa's history. Uh, making comments about like America and whatnot. And then at one point, he thinks I'm, he pulls out his gun and he shows oh. us his gun uh, and just shoots outside a little bit and says how he needs his gun for protect, for protection. Just shoots outside a little bit. Yeah. And this man is like pissed. Like he's an old guy. He's like pissed drunk. Um, and like, he's just like, like waving the gun around and getting pretty nervous. Oh, there was one, there was actually like one black South African in the group that was also came to the bri. And then as soon as he left, the guy was like, oh, we usually don't let their kind into our house. Oh once We don't want them getting too comfortable here. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so he says this like in like a very bad English accent, like drunk. And so I don't quite understand him. And I asked his granddaughter to translate. Yeah. And then she says like, so I was thinking like the granddaughter is like probably like, you know, she's young. She's like, she was talking about like YouTube, like a famous YouTubers and all. And I was thinking she's probably pretty liberal. But she says the exact same thing in like the exact same <laughs> extreme way, and I'm like, where, like, where are we right now? Which farm? Like, what is this farm? And so yeah, he starts showing us his gun, and then he says, he makes a joke like, 
he thought I was Jewish uh, for some reason. And he makes some joke like 50 million Jews died in Europe and one is going to die here tonight. Oh, my God. While his gun is out. Yeah. And then. What? (laughs) I was, I've generally never been like as like affected and scared by racist comment in my life. I, I didn't know what to do or like how to react to that. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's joking. But I wasn't like 100% sure he was joking. But Jed, you're, you're crazy, man. <laughs> I, I would not know how to react if you said that. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I was, I was so, so, so grateful for having my white friend with me that day. <laughs> but, but it all, the situation diffused okay. It was okay. So, yeah, so we went to sleep, like uh, put us up in different rooms. And actually, like my friend heard a gunshot in the middle of the night. And he was like, he doesn't know if I just. <laughs> it was like either he was he shooting didn't outside know if you again. Died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's like, I'm not gonna go investigate right now. <laughs> oh my god, this is something you could probably laugh about now, but at the moment you were probably pissing your pants. No. Yeah, um, but also, so they were the ones. So they, uh, they were the ones that kept talking to us about like all these farm attacks that have been happening, of like people coming in to like rob, like rob farms, and like they end up killing like the people living in the house and whatnot. Uh, and so that after that, that's what really scared me two days later when we were camping in this deserted place, which had just been broken into. And we we're like, damn, like, how obvious is it that we're here right now? We like had a little fire to cook food. It's like, man, maybe someone saw our fire and is going to come rob us tonight. Like, how vulnerable are we? So on. Yeah. What was the what was the language barrier and like the cultural barrier? Like, can you speak on that? Presumably, as you went into different countries, um, pardon my ignorance, but different languages, different cultures. How did you navigate? Did you study it beforehand or? Yeah. So every country is different um, and different levels of like, like English is pretty widely understood in a lot of countries. Um, I would try and like learn local phrases wherever I went. Sometimes people wouldn't understand me at all. Sometimes they would. Um, Once you start getting uh, into Ethiopia, then like English gets a lot worse. Um, But like, yeah, like I, it's easy to navigate with just kind of like speaking with your hands, uh, like figuring it out. Um, actually, in Ethiopia, I was I met this um, like this family on the bus, and they spoke like three words of English, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but like so, like very like very very like very very little like uh, like I could not like we could not understand each other that well. But, like I managed to understand from them that they're going to a wedding. Um, and like, that's why they're on this how, how do you communicate that? <laughs> I think just kind of like phrase by phrase. I don't know. Um, yeah, like, like you got there. Like first there was like saying, it's like going to see their family and then got to like their, oh, they're like families getting married, blah, blah, blah. And then I, we like exchanged contact info. I think I got their WhatsApp or something. Yeah. Um, and then over WhatsApp, uh, they like their English was a bit better because like you know when you can write it out, it's a little bit easier. Um, but like still, like I still wasn't quite understanding the details. Like I thought they were kind of inviting me to come to with them to the wedding. I didn't know when it was, where it was, or anything. Or all you know, it could have been a divorce ceremony. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wedding. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not gonna miss this opportunity to go see. Uh, like go see a wedding in Addis Ababa, like this new thing. Like this is gonna be such a cool thing. 
So I'm trying, I'm trying like my hardest, like figure out the time. And then they're like, today, 7 a.m. And it's already like the afternoon at this point. <laughs> so I'm like, what does this mean? So I get, I talk, to, I go into a random shop and like I find someone that speaks English and I get them to call them for me. And I'm like, hey, can you translate what's happening? Um, and he figures out, he's like, yeah, this wedding starts at two o'clock. You can come. It's at this location, blah, blah, blah. Or it starts in two hours, sorry. And yeah, so uh, from that, I like hustle to like find like my outfit, <laughs> something that's close to wedding appropriate in two hours and make my way there. Um, but yeah, luckily, actually, when I got there, their sister uh, spoke Arabic. So I was able to talk through like like one person in the family through her. Nice. And uh, she was fluent? Yeah, she was fluent in Arabic. She had lived for a few years in Lebanon. Nice. And then when I got to Sudan and Egypt, uh, everyone obviously spoke Arabic there. So I was able to get by, which was nice. Little did you know when you showed up at the wedding, it was uh, your wedding that you agreed to. (laughs) 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 That's uh, I think low key. That's what they're trying to go for as well. (laughs) Really, they're (laughs) trying to get me tied up for the next one. (laughs) Um, we can't uh, speak about Africa without mentioning the wildlife, the vast wildlife. What kind of animal did you see uh, while you were riding? Yeah, let me think. So I, so there's only a few parts where I was actually biking through national parks or like parks with wildlife. Um, but most of the time I was kind of like, you know, like out on the road. Um, so you where you wouldn't really see something like a lion or whatnot. Usually those are uh, uh, kind of like in like very well-known areas in national parks and you don't want to be camping out with them around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I still saw a lot of elephants. I saw giraffes, zebras. Um, uh, actually the elephants scared me the most. There was a lot of parts where I was camping and I'd like have a nightmare that like an elephant was like trampling my tent. (laughs) Yeah. They're generally probably, they're very aggressive. Yeah. There was one part I was, yeah. Um, they can, yeah, they can turn very aggressive and there's nothing you can do. Like you're not going to be able to, like an elephant will outrun you for sure. Are they, are they territorial or? pretty nomadic are they yeah i think they they move around a lot from like kind of like finding water and food and whatnot um but they'll if you kind of get between like their family or something or like you get between two elephants they will charge at you uh they'll charge at cars even there was at one point where like a road was shut down because uh elephants were crossing uh crossing and it's just it's like dangerous for cars as well Wow. And uh, I, I read that you saw penguins too in South Africa, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In South Africa, I saw penguins on my uh, one of my first days. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're really cute. They hang out in like this one uh, like beach area uh, near Cape Town. Like baboons too, you saw? Yeah. Baboons are also an aggressive animal. Uh, they they're scary ones. Yeah, they, they'll attack you. They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually signs telling people to roll up their windows because of baboons in the area <laughs> and i was like what am i supposed to roll up <laughs> yeah what the hell are you supposed to <laughs> yeah um, um what about the actual writing majed because it must have been pretty tiring at times especially given um, some of the temperatures that africa can reach yeah um i i think i mean yeah so uh, like most of the time it was like like very enjoyable um, you know, like I'd have my music playing, I'd like stop for like cooks forever. 
uh <laughs> just like living my life uh but there were some days that were pretty tough uh yeah one day like the one day we the day before we stayed at that farmer's house that was a difficult day it was really really strong winds it got super hot i thought like at one point like i might collapse like i just and we ran out of water um there was another day in Namibia where we also ran out of water we weren't being too smart uh, and Namibia is just like a desert um just like a complete desert um yeah, I can uh, tell you, yeah, the only time I got sick uh, on the trip, I only got sick for a little bit, was the same thing. It was a really hot day. I was running really low on water, and this is when I was on my own. And I was, like, kind of way in a remote area, like, not really on a road. Um, uh, like, it was a little bit of a trail. It was very rocky, so I, like, had to push my bike for a lot of it. And I was, like, desperately searching for, like, any water source. Uh, like just like a little puddle or anything. I couldn't find anything. Eventually I find like, uh, like a bunch of kids were like filling up their water from like a, a little puddle. And there was also oh, a goat drinking from it. There was a goat drinking from it and like another goat, like lying down in it. And <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to be able to drink this. <laughs> but, like I had no choice. And I was like, I have my water filter, so I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, yeah so i go and i filter my water i fill up my bag i start breaking away and then like as i'm drinking i start feeling really 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 sick uh and then like the heat is getting to me as well and like i feel like i can barely continue and this is like yeah this is middle nowhere area like there's no there's no hailing down a car there's there's nothing here um just baboons yeah, like just some goats and some rocks. Just some goats and all. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, I, I like just keep on walking, keep on walking, keep on walking, just pushing my bike forward. And eventually I reach uh, uh, I reach like a proper, like a more legitimate pump. And, and there was a few people around it. So I asked for permission to like fill up my water again and throw out the water I had. <laughs> and yeah, like a little bit after drinking like the clean pump water, uh, I feel a lot better and my stomach feels a lot better. So that was good. <laughs> How did you, cause, cause I'm tr- just trying to think if you're biking pretty much every day, you're expending a lot of energy. So I, like, how did you feel yourself? Like, how did you get food? Like, how did you carry everything? How did you cook stuff? How did you like, even just carrying the water, uh, for the day you must've been, like, it must've been heavy first of all. To carry all yeah, so the water is heavy, but you'd only really need to carry like a full amount, uh, like a full day's worth, which is maybe like 10, 12 liters, if there's nowhere to refill along the way. So there was like very few days where we had to do that. Um, and then especially, like especially once you get past Namibia, like in Kenya, Tanzania, there's little villages uh, like so frequently along the road. So I had a, a little like um, camping oven with me that I ne- almost never used. I just prefer to like stop somewhere and like buy food. Um, and then I could always like stop to refill my water as well. Uh, like there'll be like some like little town with a grill or something you can like buy whatever meat or like buy like a corn or, or whatnot. Um, uh, so yeah, I think, I think it was pretty, it was pretty manageable. I didn't really need to carry that much food wise. Like the days where I was more worried, I'd buy like, I'd go to like a, like a grocery store beforehand and like stock up on like, Maybe like pasta, tomato sauce, things like that. Just like an easy yeah. thing to cook. But like I maybe once I was on my own, I cooked maybe like two times 
okay. two, three so times. So maybe, so it seems like I'm kind of guilty of thinking when someone says I'm in Africa, like I'm thinking like vast nothingness of just like just deserts and like maybe jungles and stuff. But it seems like the route you took, it was a little bit more civilized and it was it was manageable without that like crazy of a uh, plan. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like, yeah, like, it depends where you go, obviously, right? And there's um, there's places that are very dense. Actually, most places, I would say, it's, like, you're going to hit, like, some kind of, like, town, village, settlement okay. uh, pretty frequently. Um, I think it's hard to find areas that are, at, like, generally very, very remote with no people. And so, like, I went and, like, I seeked out those places when they were around me, Um uh, because it was interesting, but that's not like that's not the common, uh, like that's not the common areas. I mean, I think if you wanted to, you could probably do the entire trip on paved road. Um, oh, you can. I I think yeah, I think it's possible, or or like very nearly possible. But I went out of my way to like find like the like the dirt trails that like take you through interesting villages and interesting sites and whatnot. Because I thought the that road be less fun. traveled by. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I thought. Because kind of like on the main, like the main highway stopping at the gas station, like no matter where in the world you are, it kind of all looks the same. <laughs> so I wanted to go into the areas that like look a little, a little bit different than what I'm used to. A little bit more dingy. You you wanted to you wanted to die. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, what was the single most challenging scenario or thing during the trip? Would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think the big story was. Um, uh, so actually pretty close to where I uh, had run out of water and I was drinking that uh, the water that made me sick. Uh, so that was a fairly remote area. It was It's uh, on the border of Kenya and Ethiopia, uh, but it's not like the main border. It's up in the corner of the two countries. Um, and, and there isn't really like a, there isn't like an actual border post between them. Like I went in, I didn't show my, when I left Kenya, I didn't show my passport to anybody. I never got an exit stamp, <laughs> which I still don't have. And I went yeah. into Ethiopia, and it was the same thing. Um, uh, like I had, to, I had to go until the next town, and then get my entry stamp like at the next town. It actually, took a couple of days, so I was in Ethiopia without like going through immigration for a while. Um, the and there was just like one little like sand trail between the two countries. Uh, and so in that area, <laughs> in that area, there's two tribes that have been in conflict for a long time. Uh, one on the Ethiopian side, one on the Kenyan side. And so when I was crossing the border in no man's land between them, um, well, firstly, like while I was getting closer, like there were stories of like violence starting back up. And I was asking around, trying to make sure I was only staying in safe areas. And there was one day I was like going down some road and like I was asking someone, and he's like, yeah, there was like just a sh- like there was a police officer that was shot there recently because of this conflict. Don't go down this road. This road is very unsafe. And he like pointed me to like another like I did, did this big um, detour to get back to like the safer road. Um, and then right before crossing the border, like I hitchhiked with a bunch of soldiers and they uh, they're like, yeah, this area is safe. Da, 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 you're a foreigner. You'll be fine. And, like foreigners are left out of it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then they, <laughs> I thought they were going to take me to immigration or something, but they just dropped me off out of the water. I was like, all right, Ethiopia's that way. Go ahead. Okay. Peace. <laughs> and yeah. And I was, uh, as I was crossing uh, out of nowhere, I just hear this thing fly overhead. And I was like, what the fuck was that a bird? What was that? 
and I was like, Oh my God, I think that was a bullet. Um, <laughs> it like, like just like, I, it just sounded like, like, you know, like a slingshot, like it sounded like someone released a slingshot beside my head. Okay. Yeah. So I panic and I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't see anyone in front of me. I didn't know where that came from. I didn't know if I, if I should run away, if I should like hop, like lie down and like try and like crawl forward. Uh, Put your hands up or something. Yeah. So I got scared about like doing any sudden movement. To, like th- So like the other side doesn't think I'm attacking back. So I tried to just move very, very slowly, just put my hands up. I like put on my helmet so I look like like as strange as possible. Um, <laughs> like that with my bright white helmet. And then like very slowly I see like one figure out in the horizon. Uh that is probably like where like the bullet came from. And then I see another one like way to the right of him, another one way to the left of him. And I can like barely make them out. So they can probably barely make me out. So I was like very sure like if I like crouch down or like i try and hide or something it might look like i'm shooting back right uh so i I, yeah so i was pretty uh like just pretty scared just like kept my hands up like wasn't moving they want to move in any direction um but yeah i waited out after a while this like trader on a motorcycle was coming from the same direction i was coming from so i stop him down and tell him what happened and he first suggests like I turn back, <laughs> but then I persuade him to like just ride ahead very very slowly, and I follow along on my bike. <laughs> and then we figure it out because he was gonna go either way. How um, the hell are you communicating this to him though? You know? So this guy, this guy spoke English. Oh, uh, he thankfully. spoke English. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we go ahead, and then um, eventually, like the three guys that um, like uh, that had shot at me kind of like came out we got close to them and um yeah so they were like members of the of like the Desenich tribe in ethiopia uh and so something they do actually uh in the conflict if if somebody kills so i learned this a couple of days later when i was hanging out in like the Desenich town um there if if uh, they can kill someone from the other side they're like uh kind of like as a celebration uh, and they're considered a hero they like do this carring thing like across their chest where you have like little like like little grids uh all across oh, yeah, your chest yeah. and stomach yeah um so yeah this guy like came out with like an ak on his back <laughs> like oh, his yeah. chest and stomach completely scarred like this and I, I knew very little about this at the time so i was just like yeah i was like wow what a character like this is a scary <laughs> scary moment how many little um, scars did he have on his chest like like 20 30 you know like like his entire like <laughs> looked like his entire body was like scarred that way um and then uh yeah it was like three of them each with like an ak on their back um and they they negotiate with the guy i was with uh from what i understood so this is like like obviously like a very uh might have been like uh might have been mistranslated or whatnot like that we weren't like wasn't that great english um they thought I was a member of the other tribe, and so they shot at me. Uh, like they couldn't tell I was a foreigner, um, and then they, but they, they like they let us pass. Um, like now that they, uh, now that they could see me. That so I'm just trying to think of how you resolved it. You you got there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we thought you were part of the other tribe, so we were shooting at you. Um, you're obviously a foreigner. What are you doing here?" And you say. You say what? Like I'm biking through Africa for fun, for experience, and they probably laughed at you. Know? 
So there was no, there was not that level of communication between us. We were, <laughs> we were exchanging very, very simple sentences, very simple phrases. <laughs> so they're probably thinking, what is this random foreigner biking through <laughs> Africa? Yeah, you know, you think so, but actually I asked around. And so this is one of the most remote like borders in the world. And there was still, um, like in the town I was in beforehand, they'd say like, yeah, there's like a foreigner that comes through here maybe once every two months. So it's not, so I, I wouldn't have been the only one for sure. Uh, so there is. Yeah. You know, there was one area, there's one other part. So I think like, yeah, like general, generally, like all these places have like travelers coming in all the time, right? Okay. Um, there's a lot of people, like it's a popular, like if someone's doing like a motorcycle tour, it's a popular area to like go off-roading by motorcycle. Um, and yeah, generally, generally the area is safe. I think I got a little bit unlucky. Uh, there was one area I think where I suspect I might have been the first foreigner, uh, like that was seen, um, like by some people there. Where is that? Uh, it was also in another remote border between um, between Kenya and Uganda. So same thing, no border posts on either side. There is a little, like there's some conflict in the area between tribes. It's like a little bit dangerous. And usually when I like usually whenever I'm especially like around that region, whenever I was biking, like kind of like kids come running out when they see me, like chase me down, like, like are very playful, very excited. And this area, whenever I saw a kid, they were just like, like their mouth would drop. <laughs> and like, they like turn around and run away. <laughs> like they were, they are definitely like frightened to see me. And then I saw one guy, he was like a teenager, maybe a little bit older. Like uh, as I was coming up, like I tried to give him a wave and he was just frozen. Like, it just looked like, like a look of shock. And yeah, like his mouth was like totally open and just like stared me down. I like tried to wave. I tried to say like hello and like the, like the language of that tribe. And like, maybe I said it wrong or something, but there was no reaction. Um, so like, obviously I can't be certain, but I think like in that area, maybe for some of the people there, I was like the first foreigner they saw just because it's like between the two countries somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere that's really, uh, doesn't get a lot of traffic otherwise. So can you imagine if they saw someone who was like uh, extremely pale or super white with like blue eyes, blonde hair? Yeah. Yeah. Probably look like a ghost. They would have freaked out. Yeah, for sure. Um, You've mentioned a couple of characters along the way. What, uh, what or who was the most memorable character and, and uh, why? Hmm. Yeah, I met a lot of people. I think um, one person that comes to mind right now actually is um, so he was staying at a hotel I was in in Addis. So I wasn't actually I was like camping on their on their grounds of this hotel grounds, and he was staying on like kind of like some cheap dormitory type room, uh, living there long time uh, long term. He was originally a refugee from Sudan that has left Sudan because of the conflict there and came to Ethiopia. And he was in Ethiopia for a while. He's like learned the language. Um, and uh, he was just really friendly to me. He took me to uh, this big, like, like think of like a big public square in the middle middle of the city uh, where there's like a massive, massive hundred person workout. <laughs> like we're all like doing like jumping jacks together, push-ups <laughs> and whatnot. <laughs> so he took, he took me to this thing as like a little... Uh, little morning workout one day um and then kind of like 
we like got food together and he showed me like he works as a he like buys pens wholesale and then he goes around town to like little shops and kiosks and sell pens to them so they can like sell pens to their customers uh so i hung out with him that day as he like kind of went around town trying to like sell pens to everyone um yeah and he was telling me about like his life like when he first moved to ethiopia he worked as a construction worker just kind of like carrying things around construction sites and uh kind of worked his way up um and uh he used to one story he told me was he used to carry uh like he'd have to carry um uh, gear for the construction site up like he'd get hired to like carry things up this hill every day and then his like biggest dream was like he'll get hired one day to like carry things down the hill instead <laughs> for one day and then one day that happened and he was like okay time to make a more ambitious dream and uh yeah he's been like working up from there um so yeah something that was interesting about him is he's very uh like just like incredibly ambitious he like he's also studying like as a to be like a screenwriter he like found some way to like get um classes as uh with his refugee status uh, he's like trying to run like a, write a screenplay and like sell it to like Ethiopian film producers. He's working on patents. He was like trying to get me like to help him look up uh, the Google patent search. He writes like short stories um, that are like pretty good. He sent me a few uh, uh, in Arabic and English. Yeah. Um, Very multifaceted individual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, it's it's like a realization of like, Hey, if like, if this kind of person had like the opportunities we have being here, like being this much of a hustler, like the things he could achieve. Right. Uh, and like very talented and very ambitious, very much a hustler, like doing everything. Um, and yeah. And just like, or like, a, like it's tough, right. He's, he's like spending his day, day running around town, uh, selling pens to like these kiosk owners that <laughs> don't want to buy them. Or, like, they'll buy them on credit and, like, they won't pay him. Uh, yeah, like, a, like I think, like, obviously makes me grateful for, like, you know, like, the comfort that we have here. Right. Uh, and, the comfort and Yeah. But also, like, a, like a, a realization of, like, how much talent there is around the world that's, like, underutilized, right? Right. Untapped. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we in the Western world, we, we're all about convenience. I, I was talking to my friend the other day and we were talking about how Uber and all these uh, delivery services are booming right now. And eventually, it sounds dystopian now, but they're going to start delivering into our mouth instead of our houses <laughs> just because it's more convenient. <laughs> yeah. A scary thought, but. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. I mean, like Uber Eats is getting you closer to that, right? Like it used to be that you'd go and buy takeout out of laziness. Now you get it delivered to you. You're not not even going to go pick up that takeout. Yeah. Just deliver it into your mouth. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Do you keep in contact with any any individual that you met along the way? Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of people's WhatsApps. I got a lot of WhatsApp messages. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I get on. I get on calls with people every now and then. Um, I think it'll be great to uh, like revisit uh, uh, and like kind of like keep uh, people as friends uh, over time. Um, you finished your trip in Cairo, Egypt. What was the feeling like uh, 
riding into Egypt and then kind of just finishing off your trip? Yeah. So I finished my last day in Alexandria. Um, and yeah, it, it felt, it felt surreal. <laughs> uh, it was, I was like biking. So I wasn't planning to make it all the way to Alexandria actually. So by the time I got there, it was pretty dark. Um, uh, and just getting into town, like crazy, crazy roads, like the traffic. Um, and, uh, I just, so I like kind of remembered where like our family house is there. Uh, but I couldn't quite remember. And so I just spent like kind of, uh, like a couple hours biking all over town trying to like, you know, like find it and chase it down. Yeah. Um, man, that, that must've been such a crazy feeling. Cause I, I, uh, remember going to Korea and trying to hunt, uh, hunt down where I used to live. Uh, and it's, it's a weird feeling. Uh, do you have any acquaintances, family members, uh, still in Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have family in Egypt, so it was great seeing them uh, uh, when I got there. <laughs> and I showed up with my Egypt, especially like my uh, face was black from like the suit from the cars because the cars are so bad. <laughs> so I showed up with like like looking beaten up with like <laughs> suit all over my face uh, at home. So it was quite a quite a shock, quite a sight. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine what kind of trip it must have been for you. Just life, life story, right? Life event. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully, hopefully, one of many. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was going to ask. Um, in final, uh, are there any other trips that you're planning that are kind of fun and crazy like this that's upcoming, or are you locked down uh, in the Bay Area for a while? Uh, well, I'm definitely locked down for now. But I do like in the back of my mind, I do want to do another trip like this. I think I still need to figure out like the like the timeline, the location, and whatnot. Uh, hopefully, I can bring you along, uh, Moses, for at least a part of it. Yeah, we talked about this doing yeah. crazy. So yeah, definitely. Either for a few weeks or a few months, even. Um, I would be pretty open to actually doing the same route I did again. Really? Um, yeah. So I left my bike in Egypt. So I'm kind of tempted to go pick it up and just go down the other way. <laughs> oh, from Egypt. Oh, you left you left it there. So you're going to pick it up and drive, uh, bike down to South Africa? Yeah, just ride that'd it down. Be, that'd be a cool one. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to revisit the, like the places I saw as well as like meet up again with all the people I met. Um, right. And it would also be nice to be able to do this trip again with like more time for it. Uh, like with my three months, it was like definitely a sprint. I think I could easily spend like six months to a year, like kind of like on that route. Wow. All right. Thanks for sharing your crazy story, Majed. Anything else uh, in closing? Uh, no, this was this was a lot of fun, Moses. Thank you. You you wanted to start your own podcast too, didn't you? Oh, yeah. So actually, kind of like when I was thinking about this trip, uh, one of the things I was thinking about was like, what can I like get out of this? And, and like working in tech here, I thought it would be cool to uh, like kind of get familiar with like the tech scene of all these places I was I was traveling through. And so my idea was to start a podcast where I interview founders of tech companies or just kind of any kind of like any kind of business really um, across Africa, across the emerging world, and then like along my route once I start my trip. Uh, so I did do one interview, but then I never, never edited it. <laughs> and so I kind of gave up on the podcast plan. 
but I was pretty lucky like along the route to meet a lot of people working in technology. Uh, and I got to I actually got to see a lot of these ecosystems uh, across the continent, which was which was pretty uh, pretty meaningful. Right, it permeates everywhere, and for them, tech can change their life a lot more drastic than it changes our lives. I bet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of to be seen, like the impact of technology on these countries. Um, I think a lot of people kind of like. Uh, might oversell it uh but there is definitely a potential for impact but it's to be seen what it, what it looks like over time mm. um in closing which country uh which country was like the most tech tech developed i guess yeah i think that's i think that's difficult to say i think um uh in terms of just in terms of like new technology, uh, especially new startups, um, I think Nairobi and Kenya in general were like had a lot of interesting things going on. Um, things like um, the like especially in the remote areas I went to, I saw a lot of uh, like pay as you go solar panels. Uh, pay as you go solar panels. Maybe. Yeah. So instead of paying upfront for a solar panel. You'd see like little huts with like um, uh, a solar panel on it and like the logo of the company that lets you just pay for your electricity as you use it. And so you can like buy the solar panel over time. So it makes it so you can use renewable energy in a way that's as affordable as um, mm. as uh, different energy sources uh, instead of like this massive upfront cost for getting a little solar panel installed. Oh, it's like a lease on a solar panel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a lot of things like that. I I heard of um, people doing similar things on like motorcycles. It's called like Buddha taxis. So you can um, rent out a Buddha and like start giving rights or earning income on it without actually needing to buy one up front. And you just pay for it kind of um, like as you use it and for like for your usage of it. Hmm. Do, I mean, uh, now you're talking about interesting thing about tech. So we might have to continue on the discussion, but yeah. <laughs> um, did you see anything that was interesting there that you could have brought and implemented here? Because we always think like, oh, let's implement like what we have, the technology here in emerging markets. But did you see anything that was uh, interesting that they were doing that could have been implemented here? Yeah. So something that's actually pretty well known, um, uh, but maybe you haven't heard of it before. There's a... Um, uh, like mobile money is actually very, very widespread, especially in Eastern Africa. So any store you go to, you don't pay with a credit card. You don't, you, a lot of people, um, like before even accepting the cash, they'll accept a mobile payment. Uh, and so there's this one, uh, like mobile payment provider in Kenya called M-Pesa. And it's pretty that cool because like a lot of countries in Asia are adopting that already. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think it was actually. I think like it. It started early in Kenya because this started actually before smartphones. So this works on like your normal Nokia feature phone. Wow. Yeah, where it's just uh, any store you go to, they'll have like a five-digit code, and you can just pay. Like uh, you say, I'll pay this much. This five-digit code. You show them the confirmation, uh, and then you're good to go. Uh, no need for a wallet or anything like that. Uh, so I think that would be that would be a cool thing. To once, like yeah, like you said, it's already pretty widely spread in Asia too now. 
but it really isn't in the States. It's not like you have your Apple pay, uh, but that's still using a credit card. You don't really have like a, like a pure, Hey, I'm going to send you money from my cell phone. Right. It'll be like, uh, it'll be like us paying everything through Venmo or something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why do you think it lags behind like that? I think like, I think part of it is credit cards and debit cards are good enough. So there isn't enough of an incentive to do something better. Hmm. One thing I was very, something, yeah. One thing I was very uh, surprised about when I moved to uh, the U.S. first was how um, I had to sign everything, mm-hmm. sign receipts and stuff like that. And yeah, like, yeah, Whoa, that's kind of archaic. Why? Yeah, the why U.S. is pretty behind in terms of um, like payment technology. Like in Europe and Canada, everything is by chip, which is much more secure. Uh, yeah, in the U.S., cap. yeah. Uh, and they used to still swipe and sign. Or even if it is by chip, there's no PIN. Right. And they also take away your credit card to the back room to do all the all the stuff. And Yeah, that's back. true. Yeah. Really uh, I think like a terminal that they bring out to you, right? Yeah. Like I think it goes show people are just, I think people just get used to the convenience they have. And so they're, they're unwilling to change it for uh, like, like moving something that's a little bit more advanced. Hmm. Good talking to you, my Jed. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Moses. It's a great conversation. We're gonna we're gonna have to chat a little more and possibly plan a trip together. Yeah, absolutely. What are you thinking? Uh, maybe not Africa, but I, I'm gonna I want to start off with something easy, maybe like <laughs> South South America might be a little easier. Uh, if you're down to join, I'll go wherever you want to go. Wherever, wow! It's very rare to find someone that's down to join me. So if you're generally down wherever you want to go, I I'm in. I mean, if I can find a time... Even if you want to cross Manitoba by bicycle, I'll come with you. <laughs> cross Manitoba bike. Okay. Well, nice talking to you. We'll have to uh, catch up and plan something in the future, okay? Yeah, thanks a lot, Moses. Okay. Thanks for sharing. Bye.